Hey, hey, hey. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Unacceptable Behavior Podcast. I am Braylon A., and it's been a while. (laughs) I'm very much aware. I wanted to take an opportunity to discuss performance pleasure. And when I say performance pleasure, the first thing I think of is um, like faking orgasms. You know, they say that about vulva owners quite a bit that, um, you know, sometimes it's just easier to fake than it is to actually experience pleasure. And I really understand this. It's not completely what I want to talk about today, but it's, it's a good place to start. I have been depressed for the majority of my life, as if you've ever heard this podcast, you know, and I never knew how to associate pleasure with sex. Uh, that also comes with being raised in a very, 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 very Christian home. Um, but instead, I instead of equating pleasure with sex or with masturbation, I equated my pleasure with performing on a stage. And I'll tell you, that set a lot of weird standards for me later in life, and I'm still trying to unpack them. I'm still trying to unlock exactly what that means, what it means to get your pleasure um, literally from your performance, right? Um, it's a lot. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the dual control model, maybe, and I overall just want to talk about and explain my very complicated and my always changing relationship with pleasure. Um, Well, let's see. I guess we'll start with the dual control model. It uh, refers to two distinct systems in the human body, regardless of age, sex, gender, ability, what have you. Uh, There's a sexual excitation system that says like, woohoo, something sexy is happening. And then there's a sexual inhibition system, which says, baby, don't do that right now. Um, And it's pretty obvious what that means when you're talking about pleasure being directly related to sex, as most people do. Um, But as I just said, And as we know, pleasure is so much more expansive than just sexy time, right? Pleasurable experiences can range um, from something as blatant or explicit as um, just masturbating for the purpose of orgasm. Uh, But a pleasurable experience can also be um, like a platonic cuddle between friends, it actually brings up for me, I watched a, cri- a clip recently from sexualitysci.org, uh, which is a sex and pleasure resource for folks dealing with spinal cord injuries. That's SCI, spinal cord injuries. And they talk in depth about the vastness of what a sexual experience looks like to them and what it's like to experience sex with little to no genital stimulation. It's something that as a person with functioning genitals, we don't really think about. Um, But these folks are talking about experiencing their sexuality and experiencing pleasure without genital simulation, and it does not mean that their sex lives are over. But instead, it means that they have to redefine sex and find the little pieces of pleasure that are scattered throughout all of their human experience. Instead of saying, okay, well, I use my genitals to get off, you have to think, where else can I find pleasure in my body where else are my erogenous zones what else excites me and it really brings up this question of like what the heck pleasure even is and um how you can relate 
pleasure back to sexuality, even if the pleasure isn't in a blatantly sexual way. Um, all that to say, which you probably already know, pleasure and sex aren't the same thing, or at least they don't have to be the same thing. I'm not saying that sex isn't pleasurable. That would be, that would not be a good thing for me to say. <laughs> um, yeah, they don't have to be the same thing though. And for me, uh, growing up the way that I did, I wasn't really taught about bodily pleasure at all because God doesn't love bodily pleasure. It's mostly spiritual pleasure that you strive for in Christianity. Um, gosh, and not like sex pleasure and not touch pleasure. Like the, those things weren't um, options, quite frankly. They just weren't options for me growing up. Um, masturbation would cause holy amounts of guilt and any curiosity towards it was worth condemnation um quite literally and as a human you continue to seek pleasure it doesn't matter who's telling you you can't or who's telling you it's bad you're gonna continue to seek it no matter what so please know if you're raising kids and you want to suppress their pleasure because you're afraid of childhood sexuality you need to know that they're still going to find pleasure but they're likely going to find it somewhere else and the repercussions of that i can speak to they're very odd and it's difficult for me to explain entirely what i mean by this but hey that's the purpose of the podcast we're here to have a little conversation have a little have a little talk about it. <laughs> now, for me, I found pleasure on the stage. Um, the only gratification I had as a homeschooled diva, <laughs> the only gratification I had was cast, li was cast lists and solos and performance opportunity. Um... And, and, and that's where I got all of those rewarding feelings. You know, I didn't get them from academics because of the homeschool thing. I didn't get them from bodily autonomy because I didn't have any. Um, when I refer to the theater industry or theatrical folks as, quote, just masturbating in front of people on a stage, <laughs> which I do say quite a bit, uh, that comes from a deeply personal place. Uh, being raised as a child actor teaches you to express your vulnerability during a crucial formative part of your life in a way that other kids just like aren't ever asked to do. So in your most pleasurable moment, you are also your most vulnerable. You are the most exposed to everyone around you. Um, and it's, it's really not unlike masturbating in front of a giant group of people. Um, I would argue that it feels almost the same. And I know several others who would say that as well. I'm not saying that's every actor's experience. It would be ridiculous to make a generalization like that. Um, but as we perform and let ourselves get to this place of vulnerability... You know, you say in your head, come watch me perform and watch me do what I love and we'll change your world. Oh, and that's the other thing, okay? Whether or not we change your world, <laughs> that's highly debated. Actors just love to say that they're changing the world. They love it. And even more so, theater teachers who target and manipulate children lead you to believe that the world could and will change 
as a result of your performance. I, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about a teacher, probably a white cisgendered teacher teaching a like a privileged white kid in the case of my theatrical experiences telling you that your storytelling is going to change the world and we're playing pretend revolution and thinking that we're making an impact when you're dressing up and singing and dancing i really believe that the industry as a whole is evil um particularly for profit theater classes that fail to recognize diversity and equity and mental health precautions. And it's really part of my pro my platform to call out problematic systems of oppression that cause pain and suffering of massive proportions, including but not limited to my own upbringing as a child actor, fucking me up so badly, fucking up my perception of the industry and of the world. Which, ironically enough, I guess means that theater did change the world, but not, not exactly in the way that everybody expected. And again, I don't want to make a sweeping generalization. I am talking, uh, I'm talking about an industry as a whole, right? And I know from my experience that there are communities who truly do want to give back to their community above all else. Um, and I think those places are great. And I think that if you know the right people to work with, people who can keep you safe, who understand, who are making strides to make the industry more equitable, I think that's lovely. And I think that it's important that we uplift those people and not put them in the same basket as fucked up industry professionals who are trying to manipulate kids. Those are very different things. I want to make that abundantly clear so how does this all relate back to the dual control model well when i relate the dual control model back to my own sexuality and my own pleasure which as we've established is probably different or might be different than yours um my mind first goes to the excitation system uh being love bombed if you're familiar with love bombing it is commonly used by abusers um and i feel that i was love bombed by theater professionals i mean common tactic in abusive relationships used to manipulate and gaslight someone into believing they are crazy or wrong for questioning their love and safety but unfortunately love bombing still registers in that excitation system as love and all the elements together create this, like, whew, I can't even explain it. This, like, unforgettably orgasmic experience when an actor actually gets the opportunity to perform on a stage. And in order to get to that place, you have to deal with your sexual excitation system getting exploited and triggered by love bombs by people who are saying they're there to support you when the reality is that they're in it for their own pleasure and quite honestly i think it is sickening um and then i think of my inhibition system my sexual inhibitions 
and they're screaming at me. <laughs> they're screaming at me because they're like, you should not take this much pleasure out of theater. You should not feel this good about yourself being on a stage. Um, I feel so much guilt for taking pleasure in my craft because I've been taught that it is a craft that if I harness my magical energy just right, then I could change other people's lives, which is more important than changing my own selfish life. Changing people's lives is more important than my pleasure. And you're constantly reminded as an actor what your place is. Actors are not the center of attention. They are not the center of pleasure. It is fascinating to me that we, um, that we began holding movie, movie actors, film actors, to such high regard that we view them as celebrities and that we idolize them and we put them above others as being like this this thing that we should aspire to when traditionally historically the actors were the bastards the actors were the outcasts the actors were the entertainers for the elite they were not the elite and it really makes me wonder like what happened that there's like this difference now and I don't think it's as apparent in the theater industry as it is in the film industry. I think if you're looking at the theater industry then you will see a lot of struggle even amongst the quote-unquote stars of the of stage acting. Whereas when you go over to film, you see a very different side of things. You see a very different story. There's a different level of uh, pride and acceptance that you get to take in your work when you are working on a film set that you simply do not get to possess whenever you are a theater actor because the actors used to be the prostitutes, the actors used to be the bastards, the actors used to be the hookers. And I don't know, I guess not much has changed, which is fascinating to me, right? Because like, because there was a big cultural shift. At some point we started holding actors in a higher regard, but now we aren't. Now we aren't for some reason. And that, that's very confusing to me. And especially when you consider that at the end of the day, no matter which group I'm talking about, it's all just performance, right? It's just, it, it's just playing pretend. But the thing is that when you're pretending so intensely, you're actually blurring the line between what is real and what is performance. It's like, um, if you've ever heard about how if one third of your life is dreaming, what makes that one third less real than the other two thirds? Um, and then you get into all of these more complex issues like trouble distinguishing what your real emotions are. Um, and we have tragic stories even in film to back that up. Um, people who fell victim to their own method acting. Uh, the tendency and even like the bragging right that it's afforded to you for your ability to cry 
on command. That's another fucked up thing, right? Like, if you say, like, I'm an actor, everyone's like, okay, can you cry? <laughs> like, you're supposed to take this, like, like, it's bragging rights for you to be able to trigger yourself at any given moment for people's entertainment. Like, even off stage, it's, I don't know. I, I just think that's so fucked up. Furthermore, I am even struggling as I'm recording this podcast right now with all of the fucked up ideals that this industry and this upbringing gave me. Um, crippling perfectionism is the reason that a podcast has not come out in over a month. It's not because I don't have anything to say. It's not because I don't have anything prepared. This episode on performance pleasure has been sitting in my notes app for over a month. I, I want to make that abundantly clear. This has been prepared. But somehow, despite the fact that I have multiple pages of points to talk about, no matter how many times I re-record this episode, which this will be the third time, I'm not happy with what I'm seeing. I can't imagine others getting pleasure out of the things that I'm saying. I am paralyzed by this feeling of inevitable failure. I can sense the people around me listening to this and hating it and thinking she's so stupid for trying. And it's because I, I mean, I guess it's a combination of a few things. So I grew up in, in the theater school, which I do attribute to most of my fucked upness. Thank you. Um, but also I spent the first couple years out of college as like a freelance online business manager, pretty much. And uh, that culture is very, very uh, hustle-centric. It's all about the hustle. It's all about no days off, no taking breaks, uh, work hard, or like always work hard. And there is this uh, glamorization of those ideas that are so incredibly ableist. And I didn't have the language to express that when I was in that industry. I just thought that I didn't have what it takes. And I told people that I, as an online business manager, when people asked me for advice and they were like, I just don't know how to do it. Like, how do you just like work every day? And I get so tired. I will go, well, then you don't have what it takes. You can't you can't do it then. And that's so fucked up. And I truly believed it. And part of me still believes it now. Part of me is still believing that if you're not on the hustle train, that 24 seven, then you might as well be a failure. You know, I haven't uploaded a podcast in a month. That means that I can't upload one ever again, which is ridiculous. It It is. And I, I, it's so hard to conquer these ideas when you have all of these opposing forces at work. That's part of why I love the dual control model so much, because it does refer to the sexual excitation and the sexual inhibition. But... 
it applies to every facet of life, not only because sexuality is in every facet of life, but because your inhibitions and your excitations are always going simultaneously. In the book Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski, she describes this as the gas and the brakes. And again, Come As You Are is a book about sexuality. Now, I believe that anything you learn about sexuality can be applied back to life because life and sexuality are, you can't see what I'm doing with my fingers, but they're crossed. I'm like, they're like this. <laughs> Um, but it's also just constant, whether or not you're talking about sexy time or whether or not, honestly, even you're talking about pleasure, like I'm talking about pleasure, but maybe you're talking about, um, that's something that isn't pleasurable. See, it's hard to find things that aren't sex. Maybe you're talking about just like going for a bike ride and there is a lot of excitation involved in that. Can't wait to get my endorphins going. Can't wait to um, get to the ice cream shop. Can't wait to feel the wind in my hair. Uh, but then there's the inhibitions. It's a little bit too humid. I'm afraid that I'm going to chafe. My shoes aren't super comfortable. What if I bike too far and I don't want to get back? And those things aren't happening independently of one another. They're happening simultaneously. And understanding the dichotomy of that, of, of like human nature, is that. It is a constant balance of inhibition and excitation. And you see this theme actually come up so much in, in anything you study. Um, when you are looking at yin and yang, for example, um, just the the idea of the duality of life, of day and night, of karma, good things entering the world when you put good things out there. There's this constant duality that is so fascinating and at the same time makes everything so difficult. <laughs> because I am dealing with my own duality in this moment. I'm dealing with you know, I am excited to be recording, but at the same time, I am afraid that it won't be good enough. I am excited to be expressing my emotions, um, but I fear that they're not being expressed with the clarity that is necessary for me to be the absolute fucking best. And that might seem like it's coming out of nowhere, but that is the mind of an actor because you have to be the absolute fucking best and it's the same in the business industry somehow i ended up in two like very toxic industries that really value hustle i can't tell you how many times in theater classes i was told that i was replaceable and that if there was something that i was unwilling to do somebody else would come along who would be willing to do it which brings up a whole different issue about this idea of consent in performance spaces. Um, spoiler alert, there is no consent in performance spaces. And if there is, it's generally what we would call unenthusiastic consent. You know, if you are having sexy time with your partner or partners and you're like, you know, you're in the mood and you're feeling good and everybody's feeling good and everything is comfy and cozy, then you would then offer to your partner or partners your enthusiastic consent 
to proceed with what we are doing. I love the cuddles. I love the kisses. I love all of this. Enthusiastic consent. Yes, yes, yes. Whereas if you are in a rehearsal and a director says to you, um, hey, there's this really sensitive scene and it's a scene where um, you are losing your virginity to this other actor and I uh, want you to go into a room with her and block it all by yourself. And you're the leads of the show and you're both virgins but this is a great opportunity for you and you figure oh well it's probably better if if i block this scene rather than the director blocking it because like that would probably be really awkward so yeah i guess i'm fine with going into a room with this girl and blocking this sex scene by ourselves <laughs> does not sound like enthusiastic consent sounds like unenthusiastic consent that was peer pressured and pushed onto the actor because they literally felt like they did not have a choice. On a larger scale, you have situations like the situation with Harvey Weinstein and with Kevin Spacey and with many other uh, actors in power. Or not actors, but people, you know, industry figures in power who are able to take that shitty piece of the industry and manipulate it into something that benefits them and their pleasure. And that's when you get into some absolutely sickening stuff. And it can always spiral to that whenever you are in a space that does not value enthusiastic consent, then you are always going to be on that line. Like at what point is it going to go from, I don't feel like doing the kiss in the play today to, I feel like I am going to lose my job and my livelihood if I don't get on my knees right now. It's, it's very disturbing. It's very disturbing and it's very impactful. And the duality of human nature really makes it difficult to stand up for yourself in those situations. But I am actively working towards dismantling those things. Um, I have made a pledge to uh, denounce the theater industry and work exclusively with folks who are working towards equity in the industry, who are working towards consent in the industry, who value their actors, who value their producers, who value their intimacy coordinators, who value their stage managers, and I am no longer tolerating disrespect. I am no longer tolerating unenthusiastic consent. I am no longer tolerating ableism in the industry, which is another huge thing I could make an entire episode about. And I encourage you to do the same. There are plenty of folks on Broadway right now who are refusing to perform until this industry undergoes major changes. You want to look up Scott Rudin. You want to look up Karen Olivo. You want to 
<sighs> you want to look up a uh, random black girl on Twitter, I will link her to Twitter in the show notes here. Um, it's a kind of short episode today because this is a kind of intense topic. And to be quite honest, I dealing with my imposter syndrome I don't know how much I can say on it without having another individual to help bounce ideas off of that being said I would love to have a co-host for this podcast if anybody's interested (laughs) um this season I really do want to talk a lot about uh theater but I also want to get specifically more into um specific steps that we can take to make our industry and to make our world a safer and more sex positive space for everybody with that being said thank you so much for listening to my podcast i appreciate you i know it's been a while but i value you and i hope that you value yourself enough to stand up for what is right and I'll see you in the next one.